three, two, one. Welcome back to System and Soul. Uh, my partner, Chris White, is actually headed down a mountain to go stare at some elk this morning. So he's on an epic clarity break. So we got our operator here with us laughing at me, Mackenzie Reeves. Welcome. Thank you. Um, just just for a quick fact check, I don't know that there are elk in North Carolina, but maybe, maybe squirrels, maybe deer. Squirrels. No, I, I think it was a horned animal. It may not be whatever I said, but... <laughs> He made it sound epic in a truly Chris White manner. So I'm, I'm sure it's going to be great. Hey, today we're going to dive into the ethos of your organization. And the ethos, if that's not a word in common vocabulary, we're really just answering the question, who are we? And giving our people, whether our employees, our customers, common language to be able to really tap into ethos. So we're going to use three elements here within ethos to bring that to life. The first is our identity, giving our organization an identity. And the way that we do this, we are using a tool made famous by Marty Niemeyer. He wrote a book called Zag. He's a, he's just a great kind of brand thinker. And he created this very simple tool uh, it has a more complex version, but we're really focused on the simple version of it that asks the question, what, what sandbox do we want to own and why do we own this? And uh, if you remember back, we had Laura Reese from Reese and Reese uh, on the podcast. It's a great episode to go back to and refer to on this subject. But uh, Marty's tool, the onlyness statement, is uh, almost like a Mad Libs when you grew up and it's, it's fill in the blank. So it's like, we are the only blank that blanks. And it's a, such a simple statement, but it gives great clarity to what is it that we, where, what sandbox do we own? Where do we play? Where do we want to win? And why do we own that sandbox? Why are we the one that you should choose? And maybe not the one everyone should choose, but the one you should choose. I'm curious because you've got a really extensive background in brand strategy. And I know that you've seen, like there's, there's companies that come that have come to you in the past that are like, make us stand out, you know? And that's like what this is about being the only something can you, so I know you've seen the, you know, for better or worse, like the, the way it works out and how it benefits a company when they really make that statement and when they yeah. don't. Can yeah. you, like, I'm sure you have a cool example or something that you've experienced. Yeah. So one of the reasons when we talk about the system and soul framework, the soul is the thing that makes you attractive. And so if you think about a magnet, this identity statement and our values, those, those things together are a magnet and they should attract some people and they should repel some people too often companies play it safe. Uh, because they want to attract everyone and they're afraid to repel. And that is one of the worst strategies we can have. We need to be willing to repel the wrong people because the, the power of whatever we're willing to repel will be the power of the attraction on the other side, just like two magnets fitting together. Um, this is kind of a hard exercise to do on your own. It's hard for you to sometimes see the value that you have because you're so 
you're in it. You know, there's the expression, it's hard to read the label from inside the job, right? So sometimes it really helps to have that facilitator or another company come in and help you be able to articulate where does, where does your authentic power come from? Where is the identity? Where is that superpower, that gift that you bring and give to the market? Um, be able to articulate that. And then every once in a while, you stumble on an oh crap moment of we don't have a strong enough value proposition. And unless you have something proprietary, you know, sometimes just geography uh, can be enough because if you're the only donut shop in your town, you can sell some donuts. But if there's six donut shops in your town, then you need something special, right? So sometimes geography is that special thing, but sometimes you, you find yourself looking at the mirror and going, I don't think that we have a compelling value proposition. And maybe that is why we've struggled to grow the way we would hope to. Did that answer your question at all? Yeah, I think so. It also made me think about, I, a lot of times when we're talking about this with clients and other coaches, they're always like, you know, we need an example, like help us understand how this looks. How does it sound? So I think you can probably help there too. I know you just shared ours. I, it makes me think about though, um, we have a cohort that we meet with monthly and there's a, and this, this is going to tie into more of what we'll talk about in ethos, but we have a member of our cohort and he was telling us yesterday that everybody in his, in his organization, they're a data analytics company. So, um, number crunchers and, and, uh, you know, they are the thing that, the thing that he brought up that's so interesting is they don't hire anybody unless they're willing to read like 50 books a year and they're really dedicated to personal growth and they're, they're people who are not only amazing at data, you know, data visualization or, or uh, projections and, and all the number stuff, but they're also people who are highly dedicated to being better people and better all around. And I don't know if that's their onlyness statement, but if there's anything in there, but they might be the only data analytics company that puts an emphasis on growing leaders as well as doing the work they do. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that would be theirs either, but it definitely could be like that. That is a unique thing. And, you know, a lot of this ties to more, uh, you would have to tie that to an outward facing value proposition mm -hmm. that, that has a lot of value for internal, for the leadership within, for the people within, for the culture, maybe attracting new talent, repelling the wrong talent for sure. Um, what we're really looking for here for, this identity statement is something that it gives our people identity, but it also allows the market to know who we are and where we stand. There's a, um, a recruiting firm that we worked with. They were just awesome people. And when we took them, they started off, you know, I looked at their website before we started with them. They look like a absolute me too agency, you know, executive recruiter. And honestly, I was a little skeptical as we first started talk, talking with them. Um, because that's a very bloody market. There's a million recruiters, low barrier entry. And these guys had some really interesting approaches and they had a really interesting niche. And I can't remember exactly how we uh, worded it, landed on the wording, but it was, you know, the only executive recruiter that delivers leaders worth following. And that was packed into a few things. One is they, they only took high level leadership positions that they would work on. And secondly, what they were great at was not the, 
you know, evaluating the technical competency of the candidates, but they really were world-class in looking at them as leaders. How well do they lead their people? And that's so overlooked when we need somebody to fill a role for a certain task or competence. Um, so much of it is really how do they lead their people because the people end up providing a lot of the value and um, they were world-class at that. So they just honed in, called it out. It creates a conversation. It also creates a filter for, nope, we're not going to take that lower level position or that candidate, we cannot give them to a client. They look like they fit, but we don't think they'll lead their people well. That sucks because it, you know, they're missing dollars, but they're true to who they are. Many entrepreneurs are overwhelmed, burnt out, and frustrated because they aren't able to spend enough time in their highest and best work. They know they need to delegate to an assistant, but they don't want the responsibility of managing one. At Delegate Solutions, we provide leaders with a different approach to admin support without the hassle of committing to an employee. We support our clients remotely in as little as one to two hours per day, all the way through to full time. And our systematic approach includes customized delegation coaching to help you figure out what and how best to delegate, coupled with a team of thinkers and doers to continually get those things off your plate. We love to help visionary leaders free up time so they can do more of what they love and have a big impact. Learn more about our delegation support system by visiting info.delegatesolutions.com forward slash traction vote. All right, let's move on. Second conversation is values. And I know we've talked on this podcast with a lot of different people and a lot of different times about values. They are absolutely foundational to the organization. Lots of times in business, payoff happens and everything hits the fan. Um, I talk about, you know, rules are, we can break rules in those chaos moments, but the values become the covenant that we've signed about how we will interact with each other along the way. So it creates a sense of safety and predictability within the organization. Uh, values uh, should be verbs. They should be things that we do. Uh, we can put them into verbs. We can put them into clever little, little sayings. Uh, one of my favorite clients says, everyone takes out the trash. That's their number one value. Or maybe it's everyone makes the coffee. But just in that little phrase, you get so much out of it. If you see a problem, you fill it. Nobody's above doing the menial task. Uh, you know, you can go on and on. That it's just, There's a visual there. I won't forget it. I know what it means. I can live it every day. Um, the other thing is that people think about corporate values. And I think that we make a mistake when we do that. They become corporate values, but the only way that works is if they're the value, the collective value of the individuals that are there. So we overcomplicate this sometimes and, and simply just ask the question, what do I value in the people that I like working with? Well, that is our shared values. That, it's, it's that simple. It's a little harder to articulate them and define them and roll them out and use them to hire, fire, reward, recognize people, all of those things that we need to do. Uh, and that's the second thing is how do we actually make the values and or organization a tool for leadership, for development, for hiring, for everything that we do, a filter for decision-making uh, and not just something, well, we, we went through that exercise. We know them. Oh, really? Get out a pencil, pencil and paper. What are they? Uh, it's one of the most painstaking conversations 
to do with leadership teams. And they're like, we don't really need to do a values exercise. We have values. Oh, okay. Awesome. Just real quick. Everybody get out a piece of paper. What write down what they are and what that means. And um, more often than not, it, it'll be a struggle. And it's, here's a little trick. It's even more of a struggle for the people who've put the time in to create six or seven values, but the people that went and put the extra time in to make those three or four values, they have a much higher return. There's something about our brain that we can remember three, we can remember four, but when we get to six or seven, we remember three. We just remember three and that's it. Um, so we want to take the time to get those honed in and really make those part of the DNA. Like, how do we talk about one of those every day? Uh, Horst Schulze that made uh, the Ritz Carlton what it is, you know, ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. They had uh, a list of core principles and every single day they start off every shift talking through one of those. Well, if you work there for a year, let alone 10 years, you're going to hear these over and over and over and over. And you know what it creates? Maybe boredom? I don't think so. It creates excellence. That's why they're known for being the Ritz Carlton. It's because they just don't let off the gas with these core principles. I love what, you're, what you just said, Ben. And I think one other way that we've talked about this with some clients is, and I love this because it's sort of like we're talking about how values create excellence, but they also create like a boundary um, mm-hmm. for decision-making. And, and this comes from Patrick, uh, Lencioni, but he says that values inflict pain or they should inflict pain. Um, yeah, they need to cost you something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such a, um, that might even be helpful as far as defining values. Like they're the things that when you have to make the tough decision, you're, you're making a values decision. Um, what are the, what are those values decisions that have inflicted pain? And that, that is, um, you know, to look at the upside as well as like sort of how it can guard you against some of the things that uh, you wouldn't want to be part of your organization. I think that's really profound. So, yeah, yeah totally. And it's so unique to see so many different companies come up with vastly different values. And that's the way it should be. There was an article that went around by somebody smart a couple of years ago that basically argued that every company should have whittled it down to three is hungry, humble, and people smart, <laughs> smart. smart. I thought I yeah. almost said that. Yeah. Hungry, humble, and smart. And it's like, that that's great. Yeah. I, I like all three of those things, but not all companies. And to your point, not all companies are willing to sacrifice mm. other things on behalf of those three things. So what are you willing to sacrifice, but these are sacred. We are not going to sacrifice these values. So, um, or even if you, even if it is hungry and humble, smart, maybe that's not your language. Maybe that's not the, the tone. Uh, companies have different speeds, different temperature, you know, all these different things. So you've really got to make them. So I would call them core values. They've got to be core. Yeah. All right, let's move on. The last one, Jim Collins hedgehog concept. This is part of our ethos because it creates so much focus for the organization. And if you've never seen this, uh, just Google it. You'll get some great imagery. You can Google for some examples if you get stuck. But um, it comes from a fable. Um, Mackenzie, you know this better than I do. A really old fable, right? Yeah. So it comes from, I, I don't, I'm, we're talking like 1800s over here. Yeah. But um, it's, so it comes from an essay 
uh, by this guy named Isaiah Berlin. And basically he, and it's based on even like an even older parable, a, a Greek parable. And it's all about how there's basically, he says there's two types of thinkers in the world. There's hedgehogs and foxes. And, um, and so foxes are, are like, and we, you're, you're going to know what I'm, who I'm talking about when I say this, but like foxes are really clever. They're people who love to spin up ideas and like basically make things almost so complicated that only they can understand, it, you know? And, um, and then you've got, and, and they're brilliant people, but then they're, but then there's hedgehogs and hedgehogs are just as smart, but their approach instead when they spin up an idea is to find a way to remove the complexity and, and clarify the thought down to this most simple, clearest explanation. Um, so those are the two types of thinkers. And, and Jim Collins uh, very clearly say, says that in leadership, hedgehogs win every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, he spins it in, uh, maybe it's in the fable or the way he tells it, but you know, the, Clever Fox wakes up every day coming up with a plan that he's going to go eat that hedgehog for lunch. But every day, all the hedgehog has to do is the same thing over and over and over, crawl up into a little ball and the fox goes away frustrated. And I have so been guilty of being the fox in business. I literally just texted somebody who I've worked with in the past and I heard him on a podcast and, um, you know, my, my, maybe it was my insecurity. I don't know. I felt like, um, he walked away feeling like a failure from that experience of us working together. And I, I texted him. I'm like, dude, you weren't a failure. What was the Fox? And the Fox was ruining. Like I did not, uh, I did not give him a hedgehog that he could go operate within. There was no way for him to be a success. Um, so I am super guilty of, of, you know, moving into Fox land. So it's really important for me to keep this as a tool to keep coming back to. So the tool, the actual three questions, the three circles, it lives like a Venn diagram says, what are you deeply passionate about? And this can be hard to figure out, but when you do, I've found uh, that it tends to have an inward, like inner company expression and an outer uh, world expression, like how you serve the market and how you serve your people. What are you deeply passionate about as an organization? Second question is what can you be the best in the world at? I want to go back to the donut conversation that we were having earlier. People get scared off by the best in the world. Like, well, it's kind of arrogant to think we can be the best in the world. Okay. Go back to your sandbox that you want to play in that sandbox. What can you be the best in the world? Because you know, maybe it's the best donuts in your town, right? Or the best glaze on a, I don't know. But if it makes you feel better, you can just ask, what are we really, really good at? And there is something there. Like you exist as an organization because there is something that you're good at. Don't choose the thing that, that you think you should be good at because um, that may actually be a tension in your business that that's actually not. You, you think it is because everybody else is and that's what you keep pushing for. Find the thing that you are truly good at. And the third is what drives your economic engine. Um, and this, uh, I'll tell you a story on this one, because this one's sometimes a little bit hard to grasp. Uh, my first company was a, is a digital marketing and, and brand company. And we tried for years to nail down our hedgehog. And we kept coming back. We got the first two questions uh, pretty quickly. 
I think, and stuck with those. But this third one, this third one, um, we thought we'd have it and we would execute against it and it would cause problems, it would cause frictions. And so it ended up being a hindrance, not actually a value driver. And when we switched and we landed on lifetime value, uh, lifetime customer value as our economic engine, it changed everything. It changed who we would onboard. Like we wouldn't take a client unless we thought they were absolutely good fit and going to be around for a long time. And there was some uh, substantial chance of them not just executing across this contract and not just renewing a contract, but buying more from us if we serve them well. Um, that little change was huge. We started to look at our portfolio and say, hey, which clients are not driving up that economic engine uh, the, the customer lifetime value metric, what do we need to do about that? So it became a lens, it became a filter um, and really a strong strategy tool for the whole business. So understanding what drives your economic engine. Uh, pe some people use, you know, a lot of law firms, you know, professional firms who use things like revenue per person um, would be an economic engine. So if you're constantly fine tuning to uh, how much revenue per person that's good for like a high, you know, it's great for measuring when do we hire, when can we hire, how do we grow kind of projections like that. But you need to, when you think about this, driving your economic engine, when you have this conversation as a senior leadership team, have the conversation of how would this change our business? Cause there's pros and cons. Like you're going to make decisions based on this. So think through well, Yes, we could make a lot of good decisions. What would be the bad decisions that we could make or the tensions that would be created uh, by focusing in on an economic engine measure? And then when we have that, we want to, you know, we've talked about the scoreboards before. We want to take this economic engine and make sure this is one of the, the focused metrics that live. How do we measure this? Like, are we keeping our eye on this? We want to keep our eye on our destination. There should be some metric there. We want to keep our eye on our economic engine because it's the driver of how we get to that destination. That's how we use the hedgehog concept and that identity, our values, our hedgehog all roll up and give us a sense of, of identity, of ethos within our organization. Yeah, I love that. And and within System and Soul, we we have all this, and, and you can share this in the show notes, but we have all this sort of uh, the answers that we provide or the answers that we come to for our values, our identity and our hedgehog kind of live on one sheet of paper. And it's a, it's an amazing way to not only be a reminder of like who we are, but also like how we make decisions and why. Um, so it's, it's an amazing soul tool as well as it becomes very systematic as far as how we make decisions about our company and our business. That's a, that's a great call out. I don't know if we've actually talked about the S2 roadmap, but um, yeah, let's give it away. It'd be a PDF in the show notes. Um, you know, my goal with all of System and Soul would be that every company would have this one single sheet of paper filled out so that they can have the clarity that it provides them and their organization. So yeah, let's give that away. Um, also, as always, you know, we have coaches that would love to work with you if you feel stuck on any of it um, and a bunch of other resources that we can point you to. So don't feel, 
any hesitation to reach out because we really are here all about helping you create breakthrough in your business. Awesome. Thanks, Benj. My pleasure, Mackenzie. All right. Well, I guess this has been another deep dive with System and Soul, and we'll see you next week for another episode.